Welcome to Belfast City Vineyard, where we are pursuing formation in the presence of Jesus, community gathered around Him, and the impact He empowers us to bring in our families, city, and the world. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. For more information, visit our website at BelfastCityVineyard.com. Well, Alex and Keeley, can I invite you up now? Again, clap for them. This is Alex and Keeley Mosley. They have a beautiful family. Um, they have... Are you standing right behind me? Is this some kind of game we're playing? Okay. Why don't you grab that microphone over there? would be great. Um, I love these guys. They've been part of our, our church for a long time. They've led life groups. They are home for good champions here for us in BCV. I don't know if you know this, but lots of vineyard churches, including us, have been partnering with Home for Good uh, for, for a long time. Uh, some of you have probably been in their Home for Good life groups, used their materials. I know some of you have been journeying the questions about adoption and fostering and even taking steps in those directions, uh, and you've no doubt had a chat with these guys. And uh, uh, I was having to think about this uh, early this morning. And uh, what I love most about these guys and their family is um, they live out uh, what they're talking about and they live out their passion. And if, if I had to say, what is the theme over their life? It's serving children and loving young people with the love and wisdom and welcome of Jesus. And they do that in lots of different ways, depending on what minute of the day you find them in. Uh, And they are incredibly inspiring and passionate people. So I'm really excited to just do a brief interview with them today, and then we'll introduce Malini to you. So one of the last times we actually had these guys share, uh, you were in the process of adoption uh, with Jack, uh, but the process hadn't been completed yet. So just give us a little update on, on where you are now. Yeah, so, Zonia, great. Um, so for us, uh, the journey started, I suppose probably the last time I prayer was probably 2014, and it was um, before a lot of that stuff was happening. Um, we decided to go down what's called the concurrent care track, which is, just to give people a bit of a context for it, is uh, it's a dual track approach where there's a education done with the birth family, and at the same time the child is in a foster placement. And so that was the process that we started with Jack. Um, that was supposedly to be a six-month process, and for many people in this room you know this, but um, it wasn't until two years and two months before Jack was officially adopted. So Jack was officially adopted in May of this year. So for those people that don't know, that's kind of where we're at now. Adopted by you. Adopted by us, yes. yes. Yeah. Wonderful. Yes, yeah. So um, what have you guys learned about God through adoption and fostering? Oh, my word. <laughs> nice small question. Um, we've learned so much about God. I think I was saying to somebody at the Home for Good conference yesterday, I think that... Um, This whole foster and adoption journey um, has officially severed um, whatever tie there was for us um, to a normal life. Um, We have completely and totally abandoned that thought um, that we will ever have a normal life. And I think that there's... is incredibly scary um, to go down that route, but then it's incredibly freeing too. We're just like in the boat and God is just like pushing us and we're just going. Like because to do what we did meant that you had to let go completely. We had no control. Um, When you 
when you foster and adopt, you're like the bottom rung of the whole totem pole of power around the child's life. And everybody else, the social workers and the, the legal system and everybody else has all the power. And you are literally the people looking after the child. Um, but I think that we just learned through that, that ultimately above all of that, God's an ultimate control and he has the ultimate power and no matter what is going on around you as long as you remain anchored in him it doesn't really matter what the whole rest of the world is doing and how chaotic and bizarre it may look um but it's not going to be normal um so I think that's a huge thing we learned that whole thing I don't know if you've ever heard people say that thing of you know um when you cannot see his hand trust his heart um, but that was a huge theme for us throughout the whole thing. We had no idea why it went the way it went or why things were so complicated. We still don't know. Um, but it was that thing of trusting God's heart in the midst of it. Um, another huge thing we learned is that, um, and I was only saying this to Lori who lives with us yesterday, um, is that whole idea of sometimes God's grace is preserving and sometimes it's redeeming, but it's all the same grace. And the reality is that, like, there's another story. Like, there's a birth family, and there's their story too. And God loves them just as much as he loves us and just as much as he loves Jack. And there's a whole story in that. Um, I had prophetic dreams about his birth family. I had things that have never, ever happened to me in my Christian walk happen to me through this. And I feel like there's something about that in that this whole story. People always say, like, oh, he's so lucky, that he gets to live with this. No, he's not. Like, that's not lucky. Like, it's unfortunate. It's horrible that this story had to happen to him. But God's grace is redeeming. And anything that happens, God can redeem. And he is so about that. Yes. So. so for anybody sitting here, right here, right now, thinking... Is this for me now? Is this for me in the future? Do I need to have a chat with you guys? Home for good? Like, like is, is Jesus knocking on the door of my heart? Like, what would you say Some anyone sitting here? Um, I love what that girl said there. It's like, don't exclude yourself. Like, don't rule yourself out. I think that's a big thing. Um, because I think we don't even have a spare room and we're approved to foster now. We have three kids and Laurie and like all our rooms are full um, but we are approved to foster babies um, up to two years old and they go in a travel cot in our room um, and that's okay. Um, we had a call a while back and it was a 14 month old um, little one with a broken arm. It was a non-accidental injury and I said to Alex, I'm like, I'm sorry, we can't take them and Alex, I call, I'll tell the social worker, I'm like, we don't have space, where are we going to put them? And then I called Alex and he's like, call them back. Tell them we'll move the bookcase. <laughs> okay then. <laughs> Do you know? And I just think like sometimes you think like you need like this big house in the suburbs and like, you know, your 2.5 cars and your whatever. I think it's 2.5 kids. 2.5 cars would be weird. But anyways... Like, but I think you kind of think that. But the reality is right now we have Christian friends. We have two single girls that we know who are Christians who are doing concurrency. They're going to be single mummies. They're signing up for that. 
Because there are babies out there who need people to raise them in the faith. And because they know that they have a whole family, a church family who's going to support them. There are kids leaving care. Kids age out of care between 16 and 18. And they're put out of care. And they're put into hostels, which are scary places. Like, But you can foster them. There's a program for 18 to 25-year-olds. So a lot of you are thinking, we're too old. No, you're not. Like, there's 18 to 25-year-olds out here out there who are aging out of care and they need people. They just need a spare room and someone to teach them how to budget and how to cook and how to do their laundry. Like there are kids, there's disabled children who all they need is respite care one weekend a month, but it would be a huge benefit to their permanent foster carers or to their families. Don't rule yourself out. Like there's so many people and you all, everybody's like, oh, you guys are so great. Like you all, like, you know, you're so wonderful. Like what you do, we couldn't do it. That's a lie. You so could do it. And we are not great. Lori lives with us. Like we shout and we fight. Um, our house is always a mess. Like, I mean, honestly, like we are not like perfect. Yeah. Um, but the reality is, is that God God uses us because we're willing. Yeah. Okay, last question. Sorry, sorry. And then we're going to pray for Alex. But uh, as you can see, I'm the comic relief up here most of the time. So I'm like the Pippa ads in the end of like the one, one year in the Bible. That's kind of me. So answer me this question, Alex. One of, the, well, one of the things I love Concisely, about, yeah. about Home for Good and their approach is it doesn't just say, hey, you could adopt and foster. They open up this whole other world of what is the church's role in all this? And what is the church's role in maybe it just isn't the right time or moment for you to actually do it. But what is the church's role in supporting people who it is their right time? And what if there's a bigger family called the church to wrap around these kids? So how, ha- how has and how can the church play a part in all this? So both of you have probably said a little bit about this in terms of some of the groups that we have been a part of. Um, and so um, a lot of the life groups that we've run have had really supportive people around us, either through prayer or through like offering like babysitting or like taking our birth children out and and just spoiling them for a day and things like that. So there's a lot of practical things, meals, that sort of stuff. Um, and everyone in this room can do one of those things. Um, and so I think that's when, we're, when Keely passionately talks about like not ruling yourself out. Yes, that's true in terms of not ruling yourself out in terms of adoption and fostering. But it's also saying don't rule yourself out in saying I could support that family by doing a small thing like that. Um, or maybe that you have a skill in your line of work that actually really could help a family that's uh, in uh, adopting or in, in a long-term foster placement or even respite. Um, and that sort of thing is invaluable. Uh, we sat at a conference yesterday uh, for a number of hours and people just put in these post-its of all the things that would be really helpful. And a lot of them were super simple. I don't know, Melina, I didn't, I didn't read them all, but a lot of them were super simple and they were things that looking around this room and knowing a, a large percentage of this room know that you're capable of doing. Um, and it's also things about like asking, asking, if uh, asking for updates, asking other things. I think one thing that Keely and, and I just chatted up before we, we stood up is this. Just because Jack's adopted doesn't mean that's over. And we discussed this with a few carers yesterday. It's not over. Like Jack is lovely, like most of you know him. Um, he's lovely, but at the same time, he currently does not know that he's adopted. And the contact will continue. 
and the story will get more complicated. The behavior will probably get more complicated as well. Um, so it's, it's those sort of things and thinking like, are you the people that are going to be in it for the long haul for families that are considering adoption or fostering? So. Wonderful. I think for me, the line to... to I loved everything they said, but Christians are the people who move the bookcase. They do whatever it takes, right? So, guys, we love you. We're so for you. Let me just pray for you really quickly. Just stretch your hands out to them. Lord, we thank you so much for their, their vision and their passion and their, just their love for you and their obedience. We just honor them. We just pray that um, what they have would just spread. Uh, not just through our church, but even wider. We ask that you'd bless them, give them everything they need, and we just celebrate them. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Well, I want to introduce to you Malini Colville. She is the Northern Ireland lead for Home to Good. Here she comes now. And, uh, yeah, put your hands together. And... I'm going to pray for her, but uh, as Alex and Keely mentioned, they just had their big summit yesterday, and she even agreed to come after pouring out her life yesterday, and she's with us today, so we're absolutely thrilled to have Melanie. So, Father, thank you so much for Home for Good, for Melanie, for all the team uh, at this wonderful charity. We pray that you would empower her now, uh, and we just ask that you would bless her as she speaks to us. And we pray that you'd give us receptive ears and receptive hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, two mistakes this morning, well, one mistake this morning, wore the wrong dress, no pocket, so I couldn't put the mic in. Um, and then I was trying to be really clever, because I'm at the age now where I need to wear glasses for reading. And I thought, if I do the print of what I'm going to say larger, then hopefully nobody will know that I wear glasses. But the printer wouldn't work either. So I'll be going up and down like this, so I do apologise. But it's great to be with you. Um, I love these guys. Um, I've journeyed with them for a couple of years. Um, And in fact, I think they could have done this this morning. But um, I'm really pleased to be here and um, be part of what you guys hold um, very dear to you. Um, I thought this morning we'd go on a bit of a journey. Oh, it's up. Um, I wanted to really talk about journeying with hope, and I wanted to talk about it in the context of my own life, but also um, when we look at the book of Ruth. So I'm going to dip in and out of chapter one. If you've got a Bible or if you've got, got it on your phone, feel free to um, open that. The verses will come up on the uh, screen as well. As you can see, I'm not from Northern Ireland. Many of you may be asking, how on earth did I get here? My husband is from Newton Arts, and we returned to Northern Ireland three years ago after 31 years. Um, We're farming, which is really bizarre. We used to live near London. We used to commute to London. We now live near a farm. Um, We have Aberdeen Angus. We have blue Texel sheep. We do the Balmoral show. And in fact, our cow got first prize this year in 2018. I guess that's the story of where I am today. But my story begins way back um, when my mum came to England um, from India. 
And in those days, she came with a two-year-old and a three-year-old. And in those days, um, you would have come on the plane, and my uncle told me this a few years ago, you would have come on the plane, my uncle who was in Leicester, which is about two and a half hours away, would have driven down to collect her. And then if she was on the plane, great. If she wasn't, he'd have gone home again and then come back again the next time a plane from that area was due. We didn't have WhatsApp or Facebook or texting. And so my uncle did that a couple of times and until eventually my mum was on the plane. And that was in the 60s and she arrived. And I guess she arrived with two little ones. My father arrived later um, because my mum had a British passport and my dad didn't. And then um, they settled in Leicester, which is where I grew up until I was 18 and went to university. And they came with hope. They journeyed with hope. Hope that they could give their children something more than they could in India. Probably more education, more opportunities, more of um, just seeing the world. And that was their hope as they came to England. When we look at Ruth, if you turn to verse 1, it sets the scene. It says that Emelech from Bethlehem travelled with his wife and they went to Moab. It was at a time of famine. And so they were journeying from Bethlehem to Moab with hope. They were wanting to, to find something more, in this case, food, and just that prosperity, I suppose, and not feeling like they were in a place where nothing was happening. They were leaving what was hopeless to hopefully find hope. I'm not sure whether you've ever um, sort of organised a, a trip somewhere and thought, oh, this is going to be so exciting, Well, when we um, reached our 20th um, wedding anniversary, we decided to go to the Seychelles. And um, we were really excited. We planned it. We were looking at, um, you know, trying to think, what are we going to do when we get there? My husband was um, doing some diving at the time, so we were booking diving lessons, etc. And we went to my mum and we said to her, would you look after the children? At that time, we had two children, And um, we said to her, would you look after the children, thinking she'd say, wow, where are you going? What's the excitement? And we said we were going to the Seychelles. And she turned to us and said, I've been there. And we went, really? And she said, yes, I've been to the Seychelles. So what started out for us as this, wow, this is going to be a fantastic trip, all of a sudden took on a different meaning. And she said, in the days where she lived in India and she would have travelled to Kenya, Um, and they lived in Kenya before coming to England, Um, as they travelled that journey, people on the boat would have passed away. And they would have stopped at the Seychelles to actually take the bodies off the boat. And so as she told me that, it was like, what? That was our exotic holiday. And you've now told me a complete different angle to this. Again, a journey that people had started in India thinking, oh, it's going to be so amazing to get to Kenya and have this new life. Some of the people didn't even make it. And their bodies were were, um, taken off the boat at the Seychelles. What started as a hopeful journey turned into hopelessness. 
That was Naomi's experience. She went to Moab. She wanted, they went as a family. She went with her husband. She went with her two children. Her husband passed away. So she only had her sons. They married Moabite women. They also died. It says 10 years later, her sons died. She was left with no grandchildren, no sons, no husband, in a culture where a male figure gives you that protection and care. She was desolate, lonely, vulnerable. She started the journey with plentiful at a time of famine, and over time it became lonely and was a sense of abandonment. There's a verse, if I can get that right. Verse 5 says, in the New Living Translation, this left Naomi alone without her sons or her husband. This year, there was a report in the Belfast Telegraph um, talking about loneliness in Northern Ireland. And it said the the sort of strap line was that Northern Ireland is gripped with a loneliness epidemic. What really surprised me was that it said there were two-thirds of people admitting to feeling lonely. But what really surprised me was that the group of people who felt the loneliest were 16 to 29s. And that really surprised me because you often think it's the elderly and um, we often have adverts on telly about that and we see projects around um, bringing sort of the elderly together over lunch, etc. But actually it was the 16s to 29s that felt the loneliest. Over 70 children come into care every month in Northern Ireland. They're removed from chaotic, traumatic, abusive, neglectful and desperate situations. A place of hopelessness. Some of them need a home as an emergency. Some of them need a temporary home and then they'll go back to birth family once things are more stable. Some of them need um, uh, occasional homes, so they're dipping in and out in order for their birth family to, to actually thrive and flourish. And some of them need permanency. God's heart is for us as the church to meet this need. When you think it's 70 children coming in, at the moment in Northern Ireland, 200 foster carers are needed. And when I look at the churches across Northern Ireland, that is so doable. That's not even one per church. There's so many churches, isn't there, in Northern Ireland. Um, so that's saying to a family or a couple of families in a church, can we rise to this? Can we meet this need? Um, a verse that I really love and I suppose is part of my own story. I'm a mum with three children and we've adopted the three children. And I think um, this verse has really um, been part of our life. God sets the lonely in families. But when he's talking about this, if we look at the verse before, it actually says, he's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy place. 
God sets the lonely in families. So when he's talking about the lonely in family, he's talking about those who find themselves as father, fatherless or the widow. In other parts of the scripture, you've got the alien, the, the foreigner. You've got um, those that find themselves on the edge, those that are marginalized. I love what you guys are doing. Um, I've been following a lot of what you do just through people like Alex and Keeley, but also through others I know here. I know you have a passion to see Belfast flourish and thrive. I know you have a passion to see mercy and compassion and justice for those who find themselves on the edge. And that's what Home for Good is, really. It's talking about the edge as in children, but for some of you guys, the edge may be other groups of people that you connect with in the week. For me, it's about children. My background's teaching. Um, I'm a mum of three adopted kids. Um, I've worked for the church doing kids' work, so that's where my heart is. But God has a heart for you, a specific call for you as well, as you see this city thrive and flourish. If we jump to verse 5 of, um, oh no, go back. If we jump to verse 6, it's not on the slide, but I'll read it out. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home from there. With her two daughter-in-laws, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take her back to the land of Judah. With everything sort of disappearing around her, Naomi decided, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. She'd heard that the famine had stopped, I assume, and she was thinking, actually, it's better for me to live in um, Judah than it is for me to live in Moab, where I've got nobody around me, no family, nobody. Um, But she wanted to release her daughter-in-laws because they were Moabite women, and so she really wanted to say to them, you don't need to come with me. We're quite happy for you. I'm quite happy for you to stay here. And in verse 8, we read, Then Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept together. She didn't want to take them with her, It was a real selfless act at a really vulnerable time. She could have said, actually, I need you. I need you to walk with me. I don't want to go back on my own. I feel too vulnerable to go back on my own. But no, she, she released them. She even prayed a blessing over them. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of your mother, uh, in the, in the home of another husband. And then they broke down and they cried. I just wanted to, um, this morning, Home for Good's really about adoption and fostering and finding homes for children who need them. But I really wanted to acknowledge, and I think 
we heard that earlier as well, just the pain and the journey of those who find themselves having to give up children for adoption or fostering. There are many tears wept. The journey is one of hopelessness as hard decisions have to be made. But God's heart is for them too. And it's God's heart for them in that situation of trying to make sense of their family and having to make decisions about their children that actually that hopeless situation would have hope. Our story, each one of us, if we know Jesus, is um, one of being in a place of hopelessness and finding hope. I came to know Jesus at 15. I was in a youth camp and the guy who was speaking was talking about Jesus being a gift and um, opening that gift up and exploring it. And I did that at the age of 15. And I really wanted um, this morning for people here to just know that actually it is okay to be in that place of hopelessness, but also to explore and to think and to allow those around you, your family here, when it says God sets the lonely in family, your family here, to allow your family to, to just um, come alongside you and to allow you to be brought into that family. My prayer is that each one of us would know the amazing God, our God, our Heavenly Father, who reaches out to each one of our situations and finds ourselves with hope, even amongst tears. Verse 16 is a turning point, and I'm going to read this. It says, But Ruth replied, so Ruth is one of the daughter-in-laws, And as Naomi is telling them, no, you don't need to come with me, this is what Ruth says to her. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Wherever you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And then a verse that I hadn't read up until recently, um, well, I had read it, but I hadn't gone um, gone down to it, was the next verse, which says, so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When we got married years ago, nearly 30 years ago, my husband and I were mixing two cultures. So I'm from an Indian background, he's from Northern Ireland. Um, We knew there'd be challenges. We knew that it was going to be um, not an easy ride. And one of the things we did when we committed ourselves um, was actually on our wedding rings to put that verse, Ruth Um, 1 verse 16 to 17. It's a covenant between us to say that wherever you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. That commitment that Ruth gave um, to Naomi at a time when Naomi was probably on her knees thinking, how on earth is things, things are going to turn around for me? Um, That commitment, that covenant 
And it's that same commitment and covenant that our children need. Um, Our children who come into care, the 70 that come in each month, um, the commitment that they need, that you're going to walk alongside them. Verse 19, if you read it in the New Living Translation, it says, so the two of them continued on their journey. And the message says, and so the two of them traveled on together to Bethlehem. That is what our children need. That is what people need. People need people traveling with them. That commitment, that covenant that I am right next to you and I'm going to spur you on regardless. So for our three children, that is what we've been called to do. Um, And I know very early on, um, both of us felt God saying to us that we needed to be an advocate for our children so we found ourselves in head teachers' offices, we found ourselves at social services, we found ourselves in places that we really didn't want to be, but we were the voice for our children. We were trying to get the support, or we were trying to get the next stage for their learning, or their next stage for their health. Um, that is about that covenant, that commitment, wherever you go, I will go, will travel together. Yesterday we had our conference, our Home for Good conference, and um, when we do that, because our heart is very much about the children and finding homes for the children, we have kids work and youth work. And at lunchtime, families with their children, whether they were birth children, um, adopted children, foster children, were able to go around some prayer stations that had been set up in the hall. And just seeing those children engaging and praying for children to find homes. How cool is that? And that is our heart, that actually if our children get this, that long term, that is what's going to spur our churches to also be embedded in that heart of adoption. And I know for my children, one of the things Home for Good has really done is validated their stories. So they can sit in a church service, as Andy's just interviewed, and it says, your story is okay to have in this space. And I think that is something we're longing to see. I long to see that next group of children coming through, where their story is not of shame, but is of um, validation, of acceptance, inclusion. And we're seeing that already through the work of Home for Good, but also through churches like yourself, where you're bringing this as a core part of who you are. So we want to say thank you to that. We don't have time to go through the rest of the book of um, Ruth, but do spend time reading it. It's only a short book, even if you've got a bit of time this afternoon or this tomorrow in the week. But what's really um, worth just mentioning, and if you know the book, you will know this, that actually the story does not end in hopelessness. There is a sense of hope as um, Boaz comes on the scene, and there is a sense of redeeming and restoring. And, And that is our prayer for our children, that their story does not end Um, in that sense of hopelessness, but that actually their story is redeemed and restored and that they become men and women God has called them to be. Um, When 
Krish Kandaya, who's our founder, when he um, first launched Home for Good, one of the things he would have said is adoption is not about getting the children you want, but about getting the, but about the children getting the home they need. And so flipping it, it's about finding the right homes for the children. So when we listened to um, the story earlier and the video, it's about what is it that the children need and what is it that I can give to meet that need. For some of you, it will be about opening your home. For some of you, it'll be about supporting families. But all of us in the church have a part to play. I just wanted to um, read, and I'm going to literally read it. It's, it's, a, it's a profile of a little girl called, on the, on the picture it's Jessica. That's not her real name, and the picture is not her picture. But the actual image is very close to who she is. And at the moment in Northern Ireland, we would have children who are waiting the longest. So they would be children who are over three. So we are saying when a three-year-old hits three, that actually that child is going to struggle to find a family forever, which is shocking, really. Um, One of our children came to us at four, and I know how much he's thriving. And so actually those children need people to walk alongside them. There are sibling groups that need um, adopting. Um, And sibling groups, um, the hardest thing is, is if we don't find homes for sibling groups, they get split up. And so what is already a vulnerable time for these children become even more vulnerable because they're no longer with their siblings. Um, My sister actually adopted a sibling group of four and I see just the energy, um, the heart behind those four children linking together and the support that they can be to one another. So I'm just going to read little Jessica's story. Um, and these are the type of children that are waiting. She's an inquisitive four-year-old who loves to play and explore. She's a sociable and affectionate little girl. She loves dressing up, having her nails painted... She enjoys taking her dolls for a walk in the pram and making cups of tea in her play kitchen. Jessica loves baking, helping with the housework, with gardening. She likes watering the plants and getting her hands dirty in the soil. Jessica was born very prematurely and spent the first few months of her life in hospital. She came into care at 11 months due to neglect. Jessica has three older siblings who are also living in foster care. Jessica has a diagnosis of global developmental delay. She was late learning to walk, but is now able to run, jump, climb, ride her tricycle. She has speech delay, but is improving daily. She only started to talk a year ago and can now put four or five words together. Jessica's um, in primary one in a special school. She can sort objects by size, colour. She can count to one to three independently. Jessica's still young. There is some uncertainty about her development and learning and how that will progress in the future. But Jessica needs a home for good. I loved the film um, that we showed, the clip of the three champions who had shared their story. And one of Isabel's said in hers that her daughter said, Mum, if we don't do this, who's going to do it? 
And I just think, wow, you know, our children encouraging us to do it. And then Julie, um, who's from the Carrick Vineyard, actually said she allowed what was breaking her to shape her. And that's my prayer, really, that whatever God is saying to you today, whether it's about your belonging and being part of this family, whether it's about supporting families, whether it's about opening your home, allowing God to break what um, breaks him, but then to shape you in that. On your chairs, there's some cards. um, They're called Count Me In cards. Um, If you want to connect with us further, there's um, uh, some information there where you can do that. For some of you, it'll be about praying, um, about giving, about um, supporting the work of Home for Good in Northern Ireland. For some of you, it'll be about supporting families, And for some of you, it'll be about actually saying, I want to know more. And that might be a journey you begin today and you might not do anything. You know, you might be talking to these guys and you might be just actually exploring for a couple of years. We've got people in their 20s who are longing to adopt and foster, but the timing's not right. We've got people in their 50s whose children have grown up and left home and they've got empty space and they're thinking we could take teenagers or we could take um, the older end of the primary school. Come and have a chat with me. I'm at the back and, um, and, and I'm sure we can um, link up and just explore that together. My heart, I suppose, as I finish is that as a community, you would know what it means to travel together to travel with the most vulnerable in your own community, in Belfast and in the nation. And for me, also travelling with those vulnerable children. That you would be that story of hope, that journeying of hope. I love the song when we sang it at the beginning, Spirit, break out, break our walls down. Spirit, break out, heaven come down. We pray that, we sing that, but if we pray that, it is quite dangerous really, isn't it? That actually our walls come down and that as a community, we become that family for the lonely, for the desolate, for the hopeless situations and that we become that place of hope. That's my prayer for you and I'd love to pray that over you guys. Um, as we close. Is that okay? Is that okay, Andy? Father, I do thank you for your father heart of setting the lonely in families. I thank you that as we look at our nation and we see the many areas where people find themselves on the edge and in vulnerable places, we cry out, Father, that those walls would come down And these people, these precious people and these precious children would find a place called home. I pray that for this community. I thank you for Belfast Vineyard. I thank you for their heart, their energy, their welcome. May this place be a place of rest, of refuge, of restoration, of a place of redeeming. I pray that, Father God, that you would rise up in this um, group of people, your people, a heart that would welcome, that would move the bookcase, 
that would allow those who find themselves on the edge to be so embedded in us that in our lives that actually they're not on the edge, they're at home. Father, do that in this place. Do that over our nation. We pray for children like Jessica who need somebody to say, we'll walk alongside you. We will journey with hope for you. Father, do that for Jessica. May the children that we're talking about this weekend find homes because of your family, your church family, that the church would rise to this. Thank you for those who are already doing it. Thank you for the stories we've heard today. And I do pray, Father, for your hand over our nation as we long to see people settled into family. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.